Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilczek. This week, I'm speaking with Dr. Megan Connell and Amelia Herbst from Geeks Like Us, Peter Jung from Roll for Kindness, and Jamie Flecknow from Role Play Lead about all of the different ways they use Dungeons and & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games, as well as video games, in therapy, social skills development, and leadership development. This is episode 38 of Untenure Tracks. So the people listening to this can establish who is who. Um, just to um, go around and introduce yourselves to start, how about? Uh, I'm Dr. Megan Connell. I'm a board-certified psychologist in practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, seeing clients virtually in North Carolina, Washington, and Virginia. I'm also the co-founder of a company called It's Like Us, where I am the dungeon master for clinical role. It's uh, all psychologists and therapists uh, played game of D&D. I'm also uh, the host of Psychology at the Table. And I run therapeutic Dungeons & Dragons groups as part of my practice. Awesome. Um, Jamie, can you say hi to everybody? Yeah. Hi, I'm Jamie. Um, I am the founder of an organization called Roleplay Lead out here in Denver, Colorado. Um, I work with teenagers 11 to 17 or 18 and I help with social skill development uh, using the game Dungeons & Dragons. I build intentional uh, campaigns, interactions to help uh, my students work through and um, develop social skills. Awesome. Uh, Amelia. Hi, I'm Amelia Herbst. I am a psychotherapist and a clinical psychology doctoral student, so I'm making my way to where Dr. Megan is. Um, I am the community manager for Geeks Like Us. Um, I'm also the producer and audio editor for the podcast Brain Noodles, which is also through Geeks Like Us. I use TTRPGs like Dungeons and & Dragons and games like Minecraft and Animal Crossing in therapy with clients. I work with a lot of older teenagers and young adults, specifically in a community mental health setting right now. Um, I'm also a adjunct instructor instructor wow okay um <laughs> and i am actually teaching my class about using ttrpgs working with individuals on the autism spectrum wow that's awesome um and then peter i'm peter uh i run the blog rollforkindness.com uh i'm also role for kindness on twitter uh there i kind of talk about using D&D to build not only social skills, but sort of empathy and kindness, and using that to build kind of a will for social good. I, as my day job, I work for Catholic Community Services. They are a family behavioral health nonprofit, and there I work with a lot of teens and families uh, using a lot of kind of geeky-centric stuff, so a lot of Minecraft, a lot of communal storytelling around Star Wars. And most recently, I started doing a kind of family uh, therapy session using D&D, so I'm really proud of that, and that's working really well. The other thing I do is I work for aspiring youth team groups using Dungeons & Dragons. I have one group that I've been running for about six years, and then I've done a couple of groups 
in a partnership with the University of Washington's Autism Center. Awesome. Um, so thank you all for taking time um, I don't, to record on a weekend. Uh, I know everything is uh, very stressful right now, um, everything going on in the world. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I think kind of selfishly, as somebody who tried to start a uh, um, TTRBG-based community project here um, in Northeast Pennsylvania and then had it flame out spectacularly, um, <laughs> this is um, an opportunity for me to kind of live vicariously, I guess, through some of the amazing work that you're all doing. Um, so again, thank you so much for taking time today. Um, I think that the first question that people listening to the show would want to know about is what what was it about games broadly, specifically, um, so video games and, and tabletop games, that um, attracted you as a uh, therapeutic technique? I'll jump in with that one. Uh, I'm a fan of things that teach lessons where we learn where we don't realize we're learning. Uh, I find D&D and also a lot of video games that too are, give us this opportunity to learn and to grow in places that were unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also for running groups, one of the biggest challenges you have when you run therapy groups is getting people to come. Um, I've never had that problem with my D&D groups. People are so upset when they miss a week and they want to be there. And so like you can have a really great therapeutic intervention, but if nobody shows up, it's not doing any good. Mm-hmm. And so running groups where people actually want to show up and are super excited to be there, it really makes a big difference, and that's been something that's been really spectacular with this. Oh, wow, that's so cool. I can't piggyback off of Megan. Um, for me, I was always kind of a gamer, just like starting out like at a young age, but you know, getting into the psychology field, you know, I was like, oh, it's going to be like Freud, you know, there's going to be the couch and the chair until you work in a residential treatment facility with a lot of teenage boys who all, all they want to do is talk like video games and comics and stuff. And I realized that I was more therapeutically successful if I was able to have those conversations with them and then to be able to relate antidotes of their TV shows or of their video games back into the work that they were doing. So for me, it just kind of came naturally like that. And Mm -hmm. I realized that this is a tool that I should be using, which is actually how I got connected with some of these fine folks here going, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is anyone else doing it? And everyone's like, yeah, there's tons of us. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the the club. (laughs) And by tons, I think you mean three dozen. (laughs) Something like that. So kind of my uh, angle on it was actually more about lived experience. Um, My high school experience was very, very, very hard. Um, And the fact that I was able to create a social support system through Dungeons & Dragons. And for a couple hours, and by a couple hours, I mean like 12 hours every weekend, staying (laughs) up till 2 a.m., I could be someone else. I could be someone who's happy and a hero. That um, that same, you know, that really gave me something to look forward to. That gave me a lot of hope in the world and really helped me survive those really rough high school years. So um, before I joined Aspire Youth, I became really dedicated to the idea of being able to run games to help other people, other kids that were in similar situations that I was in, where I was feeling really isolated and really helpless. So it really came out of this lived experience of the just power of just fun communal escapism. 
Um, so for me, um, my story is a, a little different also, um, kind of like Peter's. I uh, have been playing video games for a really long time. I uh, had mentioned earlier I played The Sims. I've been playing it since it was in its first iteration more years ago than I'm going to share uh, on my family computer and uh, have graduated since then. Um, so I've always known that there is this nerdiness to me, but I kind of actually suppressed it for a lot of years and didn't tell people about it growing up. Uh, I got my master's degree in leadership development, and I loved my time there, but I didn't know what to do with it. It was a really big like degree. There was a lot of theory and uh, you know trying to practice it, but I couldn't find something that fit me. Um, and then probably three years ago, my one of my husband's friends suggested we learn to play D&D, or we actually asked him if he would teach us. And so uh, the first time I started playing this, I was like, oh, my God, this is like group leadership theory, but in practice, but not, because, like, I'm not in a scary situation where I'm actually the leader and I have to go do something or I'm, I'm doing this, but I'm practicing it and learning stuff. Um, and I did... So very sorry. <laughs> That's that okay. Um, That's so all right. I um, did some research, and I was like, hey, does anyone use gaming for, like, therapeutic type of purposes? And I found Game to Grow, which connected me to uh, Twitter, to everyone who is on this uh, panel, and then some. So um, that kind of got me started into, like, this hybrid. I have this really cool degree that I don't know what to do with, and I have this really cool nerdiness <laughs> that I don't know what to do with. So let's just maybe make them a thing. So it kind of brought me to where we are today. That is exactly how I feel about my career right now. <laughs> that I don't really know what to do so much anymore. And uh, the, the suppression thing was big for me, right? Um, studying crime, like there was a lot of pressure. Like you're, I, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Um, but I, I definitely, for a long, long, long time, suppressed a lot of stuff that I was interested in until... Um, very recently, and I realized how miserable that was making me. So it's it's good to hear that I am not the the only person who has um, been through that. Um, and so, Jamie, you're the reason why we're having this panel today because you you reached out and said that you wanted to know about um, like what are other people doing in the pandemic. Um, and so I think uh, you know there's a version of this interview where we could like dance around that question for. <laughs> for half an hour, but I think I kind of just want to get into it. And so how has things been going for all of you um, having to make the transition away from face-to-face um, sessions and, and therapy into an online kind of setting? Uh, this has actually been one of the best things for our group, helping kids uh, start building those friendships. Because uh, what we did was we switched over to Discord. And there's now something like 12 side channels, which I generally have muted. I'll just check in. And I see the kids throughout the week talking with each other, plotting, so much plotting. They, they, <laughs> they are such, such troublemakers. Yeah. Um, and all their, their thoughts to you know, find a way to hack some spell that I came up with or homebrew their way out of some weird things and I, I encourage this yeah um and uh i've just seen them really build a lot of engagement around each other mm -hmm. and away from me um 
they are all very much digital natives. Mm -hmm. And so the downside is there are occasional tech problems, but kind of the flip side is, you know, I have a group with eight kids in it, and at least one of them knows the solution because they're all pretty, pretty uh, sharp. So um, it's been great. The community that I've been able to uh, see has been wonderful. These kids are talking all week. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's just been this really nice organic way for them to start reaching out to each other and start really building those friendships. Whereas before, they were only friends for those two hours. Mm-hmm. Now I see them talking all week. And that makes me really happy. Because a lot of them really struggle with a lot of isolation. Mm-hmm. I would love to piggyback off that. I also moved to Discord uh, with my groups. Um, and uh, I'm feeling torn. So there's this part of me that agrees with what Peter is uh, saying. I had an established group from last summer that uh, had started in my summer camps last year, rolled in the after-school programming, and they've always mostly been tight-knit. There's eight of them, and they've always done pretty well together. Um, and those that group will do what Peter is saying. They'll I'll see messages. They have their own little thread and for their group, and they're always messaging each other. Um, my current struggle is getting the kids who are new so kids who recently joined either like right at the end before the pandemic started or their parents have had them join since pandemic and I've never sat in a room with them before to get active um, on there to to, uh, be engaged in between I'll post questions and say like hey guys before our next class can you all look at your character sheet and answer this question for me and like crickets um out there um so that's been a that's actually been a personal struggle the plus side is uh i've added game nights into my thing so last night we played drawful two for two hours and i left the voice chat after the two hours were up and they were on there for another two hours after i uh left uh chatting so that i really enjoyed um but yeah my personal struggle is getting them actually engaged if there aren't people i've already sat down with Overall, Discord has been a good solution uh, to not having it at all. I'd say I have a bit of a different experience because my groups are therapy groups where I have to do documentation and follow HIPAA compliance laws. I cannot move to Discord. Mm -hmm. It is not a HIPAA compliant system. Also, there's all kinds of safety risks to consider with being the therapist in a chat room with my clients Mm -hmm. um, and also privacy issues and things. So it's a little bit more of a challenge. I tried to use, um, didn't want to use Zoom because Zoom had all of the security problems in the beginning. But it seems like those, those, those have been plugged. So we tried Google Meet for a while, which the video quality for that was terrible. Um, then we actually put, finally just ended up having to use Zoom. Um, luckily, the updates had started happening. Uh, but my groups are on hiatus right now just because um, trying to balance family time and group time practice, you know, all of those things, it's a little bit of a challenge and just mm-hmm. to find the balance of it. So it's, as much as I love Discord and I love using it, I'm on it all the time. It's not an option for running therapeutic groups. I have to second, Megan. Uh, specifically, besides all of the things that you just covered, the areas that I find myself struggling the most with is the fact that I battle with insurance. Um, and that's been a huge thing since uh pandemic started so i work in a very poor community um so if it's not 
trying to get insurance to cover it because they can't cover it out of pocket or parents can't cover it. It's that the tech issues come from the fact that the phone, the internet got cut off because mm-hmm. mom and dad aren't working right now. Or uh, I actually have a few teenagers that they picked up jobs like at grocery stores in mm-hmm. order to help out around the house. So our consistency dropped significantly for a while until we were mm-hmm. able to actually come up with a plan in order to get at least a few of them in groups. So all of our groups have kind of been disjointed because there's five altogether. I might have three at the max, and even if just two show up, we'll still mm-hmm. do something, even if it's small, because it keeps them engaged and it helps them kind of break away from what's happening on the outside and all of these extra stressors and responsibilities that they have. Um, so, you know, it was hard enough trying to get county-level insurance to accept a D&D group. It's even harder <laughs> when you're attempting to do it through video. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, once I worked on those kinks, we are also using Zoom. Um, it, it's, it's been going. It, gives them, it still gives them something that they were looking for. It helps them. But it's, it's every week it's something else that comes up that I have to deal with, be it privacy, be it tech issues, be it... I need to work, be it insurance is now questioning the use of the group again. That sounds awful. So I'm sorry about that. Um, It it does seem like it kind of tracks with my experiences trying to move my classes online. Um, So I I was against using the university's package, like all their digital classroom stuff. And so I used Discord and Zoom instead of the other software packages. And like I said, I think it's a combination, right? Because a lot of people... I had I had some students who couldn't get, who just didn't have the internet anymore once they got off campus, and so were effectively cut off from classes. Um, but the ones who were, were able to get on Discord seemed to enjoy it, and are still actually engaged on it, too, um, even though the semester has been over for a month. Um, kind of sharing notes about what's going to happen when we restart and, and everything. So it's just, it's interesting. Um, but I want to go to the, the issue of engagement. Um, and so... Even if we weren't in this online space, I would I would have to imagine that there's a challenge with getting with getting kids to um, either engage with this type of therapy in general, or maybe take it seriously. And I'm not trying to say that in like a demeaning way at all. Um, I, I'm thinking about some of the kids that we were trying to work with um, from like a youth violence perspective. Um, so how do you? Well, what are some some ways that you're able to to get kids to to buy in um, to what you're offering them? I've found it's not usually the kids that you need to get to buy in; it's the parents. Really? Yeah. Well, the kids are down to play. They're fine. They're like, oh, okay, cool. I get to play a game for a couple hours. That's fine. It's getting the parents to understand the benefit of play. Um, in the area I'm in, there's a lot of uh, high pressure. High, not necessarily like helicopter parenting, but like overscheduled kiddos who have three sports, yeah, five clubs at school, and are expected to take I'm not mm-hmm. you, seven APs before they graduate high school. Yep. Um, and so, explaining why spending two hours playing a game a week can be beneficial can be a really hard sell for some of the parents. Yeah, that's uh, the sociological term for that is is called concerted cultivation. So parents that are are actively like they have a better vision of what they think their kids future is going to be than the kids do and so are like okay so to get you into this private college you need to start taking you know these advanced classes in second grade <laughs> and, and and start thinking towards that long term 
goal instead of just letting their kids just kind of roam free and be kids. Yeah, I agree um, in some, in, in with what Dr. Megan said as well. Getting, the kids love to come and sit down and play. They enjoy that time. Um, but getting to the parents, reaching out to them and saying, hey, we're, we are playing D&D right now, and it does look like we're just playing a game, but here are the benefits of play to begin with, and then here are the added benefits of me having this leadership degree and how I'm weaving these stories together or these uh, situations together specifically to encourage empathy development, communication, problem solving, etc. Like, that definitely uh, becomes a challenge. I, I do find, though... Um, particularly online, but even when we were still gathered around a table. Um, and this is with kids, and myself included, is getting them to um, pay attention. So I understand I get I have a lot of kids with ADHD. I have, they're teenagers, so regardless of any diagnoses, like, they're just teenagers. So we have, we all bring in, like, stress balls, or I bought them all for Christmas, like, the like this, like thinking putty, so that they can play with that, um, so that we can kind of stay focused. Like, of course, you have the plastic tables, and you have the kid who can see how how high the dice, how high you can stack <laughs> them, and then one of the other kids shoves the table on purpose, and all the dice go falling, and you're like, okay, that's not distracting. Um, <laughs> and then adding the benefit of online, I can see them with their switches. I can see them like if the kid's a gamer, you have the second computer screen up, and I can tell they're playing video games, and so. I understand that my, I think this is something that I noticed, and I'm not sure if you've all noticed this as well. I've shifted a lot of my focus from um, playing a game and trying to really encourage a ton of skill development to being the space that they get to go to. I mean, school just let out here, but before school let out, all of my kids were stressed with how school was going. And so I was just trying to be that like two or three hours a week where they just aren't stressed about all of the responsibilities that they had at that point. Um, so if they were playing a video game, I was trying to be lenient about it because I know that they're just trying to relax in some way. Um, but I find that it's that um, my biggest challenge for buy-in, if that's kind of how I'm talking about it, is storytelling, the kids who like the storytelling aspect versus the kids who just want to murder stuff. Uh, so how do I find a good balance between that to keep every child engaged at the table um, in a meaningful way to each of them? So um, I've kind of seen a lot of those challenges within my group as far as having kids having very different interests. So what I start doing, and a huge part of what has worked well for me is extensive note-taking. Uh, for kids, identifying uh, what's meaningful to them. Is it combat? Is it role-playing? And then I'll have kind of public forums. And uh, so last Friday was our last uh, session of the quarter. And so I just said, hey, what did you like about this year? Or what did you like about this quarter? What do you want to see more of? And so the kids were kind of able to see that, oh, they overwhelmingly, they like the role-playing. But there's this one kid who really likes combat. Okay, so we're going to have to have some role-play heavy combat. But, um, Going back to the parent buy-in thing, that was a real struggle for me for a while until I realized um, you can set up specific encounters that are kind of targeted for one kid's behavior that the parent has called you and said, hey, I want them to work on this. 
So go set up an encounter that will really challenge them around this, and then hopefully it'll go well. And then the next time the parent calls you, you'd say, "Oh yeah, so this one kid, you know, he he struggles with kind of finding his voice. So I he's playing a, a really outspoken barbarian. So there's this noble really talking down to him." And he being the front of the party, he had to really find his voice and tell this noble to keep his stupid mouth shut. And you know, he took up half the table and play and was you know, getting really into it. And it's like, yeah, you, you shut your mouth or I'll smash your face or whatever. <laughs> um, and being able to really tell the parents these targeted stories, I found has been incredibly effective in uh, building that buy-in and building that retention. Because if you can tell a parent a story about their kid and have it be kind of really fanciful and interesting and then they can ask the kid about that and then see how much the kid just lights up. It's like, oh yeah, Drasnak the, the barbarian and I tell people to shut up. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the parents are a lot more likely to um, not approach it with as much doubt. My groups are social anxiety based, so the buy-in for them is trying to get them to realize that in order to work on their social anxiety, they're going to have to talk to other people. Um, and I think one of the big things is a lot of them, they enjoy playing things like Call of Duty or other MMOs, but they don't like being on voice because it scares them. So I'm like, don't you ever at some point just want to be like, you know what, dude, not cool. And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, all right, so how are we going to practice that? Like, and eventually they're just like, it, it takes a little bit of warming up. A lot of them started out as individual clients of mine or I'm friends of the therapist that they have. So like having that conversation has been a big thing. I think that what's helped me is since I have a pretty big background knowledge of video games, I can use the video game lingo to kind of bring them into the idea of D&D. Also, I just want to say Dungeons & Dragons taking off again culturally, I think has helped immensely. Because like if when I started doing this like four years ago, they're like, mm, no, like who plays Dungeons and Dragons? And now everyone's like, I think I know people that do that. And that would be really cool if I could do that too. And I'm like, perfect. You're not even going to know you're in therapy. It's going to be great, you know? <laughs> yeah, Amelia, my um, beginner class for 10 to 13 year olds filled up within like four days of me posting it. And these are all kids who have never played Dungeons and & Dragons. And three girls, three boys. And nice. I was excited that there were uh, three females joining my group because it's usually one. Oh, yeah. So I have all, I have all I, males. I was really, really psyched when I saw uh, that there were three females joining my group as well. But I agree with you. It taking off has helped me uh, as well. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you run into that um, like do you see that parents have some of the older stereotypes about D&D like from the 80s like this is a satanic game is that is that around so much as a barrier to trying to do anything not that I've seen mostly it's parents don't know what it is at all okay yeah I mean no one specifically I, I don't know if I'm turning people away and they just don't mention it, but no one specifically has, you know, come to my page or, you know, uh, and said, 
this is satanic, but I don't know if they look at it and think, oh, I would never sign my child up for it because of this stereotype. Um, yeah. But specifically, they haven't come to me and said, like, I can't believe you do this. This is some stereotype left over from the 80s that I still yeah. believe. <laughs> yeah, just just curious about about that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the video game side of stuff. Um, and especially like given a lot of the debates around it. And I do want to come back to D&D specifically and some of the, the, the I think, realistic concerns about how some things are portrayed in there. But I want to get into the video game question while I'm thinking about it. So what's the utility of video games in, in the work that you're doing? Like, like how, can, how can you accomplish some of the, the things in video games that you can accomplish in a game like D&D? Or is it the case that you are, when you're using video games either applied or in, in therapy that you just have different outcomes in mind? So I do a lot of individual work with video games. Um, I haven't ever gotten to the point that I can do group work with it. Um, see previous conversation about insurance. Um, <laughs> but for me, a lot of it, it's... Animal Crossing's been great um, just because it's helped the kiddos that I work with be able to understand like having to have social interactions with the people on your island in order to keep up friendships um and then also you know just the little basic things like maintenance or having to like you know oh the whole paying the house thing is kind of like doing your chores you know Mm -hmm. um paying off the house planting oranges if you want more oranges you need to plant them it's kind of that's helped me with like chore conversations for my older guys which is primarily what i do i have a lot of really angsty male teenagers and young adults that they're typically who gets in my direction for some reason um for us we look at the games like spider-man or some of the open world rpgs like the witcher and we talk about what parts of those games they really like why they spend a lot of time in those worlds and how they can relate it to how they view themselves Mm-hmm. which is huge. So I know a bunch of people that got into The Witcher after the series came out, and a bunch of teenagers were like, Geralt's cool. And I'm like, yeah, Geralt's super cool, but what about Geralt do you like? And how can we take those characteristics, and how can we reflect them back on you? You don't need to be dark and brooding and have two giant swords and take down monsters, you know, in order to be cool, but you are kind of compassionate at times, begrudgingly, just like Geralt. And you do want to do things in order to boost yourself up, but also it benefits others as well. So where's your code there? And is the code that you currently have living up to the ideal person that you see yourself as? So that's kind of, that's more how I use video games, is relating things back to themselves in therapy. I use them a little differently. Um... I love how you're using them, though, Amelia. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> so, um, with a lot of the anxious individuals I work with, there's a lot of perfectionism that comes. And so I love having them go into my craft and we work on making things that are imperfect. Uh, making intentionally ugly houses that have wood and then dirt and then some cobble mixed in and nothing makes sense. And then kind of working with sitting with that anxiety and working through it and you know, rehearsing doing things badly and rehearsing like just sitting in a place where they're trying to actively not be perfect, uh, in a place where they're, they feel safe because it's just their Minecraft character in their closed world doing that. And so that, that, that can be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm also a fan of 
Um, Pokemon Go and the Harry Potter Wizards Unite for helping people get out and go walking to do things. Uh, because it does gamify just physical activity and also social connection as well. So those are two that I really use a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I struggle with perfectionism, and so that example you just gave, I, I've never been able to, to get Minecraft. Um, but that example just like <laughs> made me <laughs> like very uncomfortable. <laughs> like that sounds. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, let's see. That that means you probably need to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm very aware of my uh, my imperfections, <laughs> in spite of being a perfectionist. Yeah. I say I would love to be able to do that. I'm at the point where we are online. I want to use it. Every child has a different, um, so I've got Switch, we've got computer, we've got Xbox, and I'm like, I don't have all of that, so I can only host on the computer, and if you don't have a PC, then I don't, we can't play together, I'm so sorry, <laughs> and so it gets to, um, I would love, um, I love both of your examples of how you use the game, so it's, insp- it's inspiring for me to um, begin to start thinking about how to pull that into my group work as well. So, um, what I've been using as far as video games, uh, I don't play Fortnite, but I've been kind of utilizing Fortnite as just discussions around it, around uh, what's toxic behavior. How can you be kinder to others? How can you think about your own behavior and identify what sets you off, what you see with other people? And what I actually started doing with the kid, um, we came up with this idea of making our own perfect game, and it's kind of like a weird mix of Minecraft, Fortnite, and Civ, where the whole purpose is to build a kingdom and take over other people's kingdoms, but to do that you have to recruit peasants, and the peasants are playing like a Minecraft sort of game, the king's playing a Civ sort of game, and then all the warriors are playing like Fortnite. Mm -hmm. But we were coming up with various sort of rule sets like, okay, how would we keep people from bullying others? How would we keep people from finding ways to be really toxic? Or how would we reduce verbal abuse? Um, so just kind of think about that. And then how can we reflect this sort of thing in our behaviors around the home? I've also been uh, utilizing Minecraft a lot with um, an aspiring youth uh, Minecraft server. And also with uh, some kids to kind of work on building teamwork communication and also creating a space for kind acts. Because I think a lot of the time kids don't have an outlet to be heroic and be kind. And in Minecraft there are ways to do that. And there are ways to encourage that. So I had this one kid who spent the entire shift with me wanting to go kill cows. I'm just like, okay, well, let's go find cows and kill them. I find out that he found out that my favorite color was blue, and he was making a blue set of leather armor for me. And that was the the thing that, like, he's keeping it secret. He's just like, yeah. no, we're just going to kill cows today. I'm like, okay, fine. That's what you want to do. And finally, I'm in the ship team, just goes into our little base, and then comes out, and here, by the way, I, I know you like blue clothes, so here's a full set of blue leather armor I made for you. It's um, so sweet. Yeah, you know, this is this is a way that allows his kid to show kindness. Yeah, he's used to 
you know, not having those outlets. So what I love about Minecraft is kind of based on how you utilize it. Um, you know, you can just do all kinds of different projects. Like um, one time we had a project about, you know, when violence and destruction is okay. So I said, you know, we, we have a rule. You can't hurt each other. You can't hurt each other's builds on this server. But then one day, I said, you know what? Let's go make a really big building. Pocket full of TNT. And then we, we can make a dynamite launcher and blow it up. And so we spent the entire thing blowing it up. And at the end, he was just like, I'm kind of sad that we had to blow up this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but it was kind of fun. He's like, yeah, it was really fun, too. And so like, okay, well, and maybe maybe next month, uh, one of our sessions, we'll be blowing stuff up again. He's still like, okay, I can't wait. Um, so kind of framing... Like, okay, this is where it's okay to do this sort of behavior, but other times we're going to really work on being kind. And um, it's, it's been amazing. And um, what's been cool is we've been seeing some transfer around the home. Um, less aggressive behaviors, a lot more kind of real sweet uh, creating little gifts and giving them. And that was uh, a very cool thing to see. It sounds like it's like teaching context-appropriate behavior, right? I mean, which is really important now when like all of those kind of barriers that are up. Like, I'm at school, so I behave this way. I'm at aftercare, I behave this way. Like, that's all gone now because of the pandemic, and kids who are just stuck at home. I mean, that's been my experience here. (laughs) <laughs> with my kids, <laughs> at least, um, not really knowing um, what to do with themselves all day. It sounds like that's kind of like what that's accomplishing. And I'm definitely taking the Pokemon Go and, and Harry Potter idea to get my six-year-old out more. So we are... I get myself out more, to be honest. <laughs> so we are 100% going out and, and doing that today. So thank you so much for that idea. Um, yeah, I mean, we just started playing Stardew Valley, my daughter and her cousin, who's also six. And so like seeing them try to coordinate was has been really interesting <laughs> i think so i i definitely see like i have a greater appreciation now even from just talking to all of you about like the utility of games um is it something that you think can be applied to any kind of video game or do you have to be deliberate in in what your choices are deliberate in how you explain it. So, for example, I think Overwatch is the most toxic game like out there right now, and I don't play it anymore because it hurts my feelings. However, I think if you're playing it, if I were to be using it, it would be on the context of kind of what Peter was also saying, Like, and, and I think everybody's kind of mentioned this, how do you manage somebody who's toxic to you? How do you um, take those feelings? How do you uh, learn to, when do you ignore what people are saying, when do you speak up, uh, and then how do you work as a team, right? So, I mean, the whole point of that game, despite what people would have you believe, is that you actually are working on a team, and you are trying to defeat the other team. Mm-hmm. And so, I think there are games that more often lend themselves to being better for group work or individual work, uh, for sure. There are games that don't necessarily 
offer that space. I love, I think everybody has mentioned a game where you can join your student client with them versus maybe watching them. But even what Amelia was saying with Witcher, you can still look at the characters, even if it's just a one-player game. You can still look at the characters or the situation your characters get put in and what did you dislike about it? Why? What did you like about it? What do you want to emulate in your own life? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely games that lend themselves more to being better for that space, for sure, than others. Um, yeah, I was going to say, um, Amelia, I, I like that idea about saying, like, what is it about this character that you, that you enjoy or that you admire? Um, because... And correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be a way to kind of bridge your clients or your kids into other types of art, right? It's almost like a like a Netflix recommendation kind of thing. Like if you like this game, you're really gonna love this movie or this or this book or, or whatever this comic. Yeah. Um, so I am probably one of the few people that feels this way, but like using games in therapy specifically in therapy kind of like the way that everyone else kind of talked about like Megan specifically with Minecraft um there are certain games I wouldn't play with my clients but as far as the techniques that I use as having them identify what they like about that game and then attempting to tie it into the work that they're doing I can only think of very few games that I can't find something with mm-hmm. because i'm gonna have i've had kids that play first person shooter games or you know stuff like overwatch mm-hmm. and you know with those types of games you think like the violence component to it and i'm like well you're motivated yeah. to continue to get back in there every time you lose even if you do get frustrated with it mm-hmm. so what if you're that level of motivated to get back in the game when mm-hmm. you're physically doing a sport um i think the only games i can really think of are games that are like purposefully built to just be gross yeah. and dark and like are just purposefully showing the worst of humanity and even then those seem to be really underground games and I have not run into any of my own clients that have actually played them I think those are the only games I can think of that I can turn it into something that helps them so for me pretty much all video games are on the table mm-hmm. as far as utilizing them in therapy as far as highlighting strengths and that mm-hmm. kind of work yeah and as after I said it, like I'm thinking after I'm thinking about what I said after I said it, and uh, like I mean, obviously you wouldn't take a um, a young person who is maybe showing violent tendencies and then saying, well, if you really like this violent video game, here are, here are all these hyper violent dumb movies <laughs> to go watch because that's what's going to exacerbate that problem, right? But I'm, I'm thinking like if if you have somebody who is more into like the combat side like like recommending something like rocky right which is at its core a love story right um and sylvester stallone is not really like i mean he's a big dope rocky balboa is a big a big dope but he's very earnest and he doesn't really care if he wins and it's like i said it's i mean it's got issues but certainly stuff that you could work with more so than um any any number of other hyper violent movies and also like with what video games do you use therapeutically or social skills training? It's this central issue, which I think a lot of us have alluded to, but not stated explicitly, which is meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. If you're working with a client and they love Fortnite and they spend hours a week playing Fortnite, meet them there. That's going to be your starting point. That's going to be your end. If you want to get them to play 
um, Overcooked, for example, to work on communication and frustration tolerance, which that's a great game for that. Um, it, you know, you're not going to, they're going to look at it and go, no. It's like, okay, let's play some Fortnite. All right, if you want to play Fortnite, we got to do this game first. And so you want to meet people where they are and, you know, work with them there. Yeah, I want to just second that. Um, I found that a lot of my clients play games that I have zero interest and in. You know, don't even have the console for but being able to take a little bit of time on my own to educate myself about the game, uh, just for the purposes of rapport building, um, that can be really, really incredible because a lot of the time, uh, these kids are in a world where they're fantastic at this game. Like, they'll, they'll start talking about, like, oh yeah, I, you know, was in, uh, seven Battle Royale uh, matches in Fortnite and I won five of them. It's just like, wow, that's that's amazing. And being able to highlight that and celebrate that with the kid when, mm-hmm. you know, maybe their parents or their family just see, oh, they're just, you know, wasting away on the video games all the time. And I, I'm able to frame that as, that's proof that you worked hard and you gained a skill and you got better. So, um, yeah, just, just being able to recognize that when very often kids are very much surrounded by this overwhelming um, uh, sense from adults that video games are just a waste of time. Yeah, it seems like that's uh, like an early opportunity to teach empathy, right? By showing them empathy, by saying, well, I don't really, and I'm not going to tell you that I think your game is dumb. I'm going to take time to watch Let's Play videos on YouTube or whatever to learn... (laughs) Uh, even the lingo of, or the you know the terminology of your game, so I can um, not fake it, but you know reliably talk about it with you. And yeah. and let uh, and let them teach you about it. I uh, you you get them talking about it, and just the way a kid that would never talk to you before just has no interest in being here, not nothing at all. Say like so. Uh, I I heard they. Nerf the, uh, the the pump in the this build. Like it just lights up like, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's totally garbage. Whoa, 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 whoa. Suddenly, you know, I have an it, and this kid is talking to me. I'm like, cool, cool, done. And uh, it's 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 like a magic switch gets turned on. And I would also say another thing that hasn't come up yet, um, but something that I've noticed for the kids that I work with. Um, a lot of them have had to, part of their social anxieties have been exacerbated because they've moved at a tough time in their life and like left behind friends wherever they were from. And I, I know I have two kids in my, one of my groups who use video games as a way to play with their friends back wherever they're from. And so, um, and their parents are very understanding and open-minded and they're not the type of parents who believe video games are a waste of time. In fact, they encourage it. But those are, um... So this week I ended my one-year session with my uh, class who's been with me since last summer, and they've been struggling a lot with not being together for this ending piece of it because we planned this whole week of summer camp to hang out for five hours a day uh, and finish up this big battle. But um, my checking questions have been a lot around change and who can you count on and talk to if you're having a problem. And So hearing these two kids say, like, yeah, I love getting on this game and checking with my friends from this state. And I know that if I ever needed them or like when I'm having a hard time, they're the people 
people I can count on. And so I think video games like bridge that as well. So in addition to all the cool therapeutic benefits, social skill benefits of video games, I met my very best friend who lives in Georgia because we both blogged about The Sims 100 years ago. Um, we both like wrote a legacy challenge blog for years, and that's how we became friends. And you know, she came to my wedding, and I've been out to visit her. And so it's, I wouldn't have her in my life if it weren't for video games. And I know that my kids feel that way as well. So uh, as as everyone has mentioned, that is your in when you can say, oh hey, guess what? My best friend's from Georgia, and I met her through this video game. Oh, you have a friend who lives far away. Let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which I think also is kind of like a generational shift in how we view the internet, too, right? Like, I had friends online when I was younger, and my parents didn't understand any of that. But today, like, it's no big deal, right? Um, so, which is good. Like, I think it's using the technology how it's meant to be used. Yeah, I mean, to some parents, still, it's a big deal. Like, even what's interesting to me is parents who were gamers as kids still struggling with how much do they love their kids game and that fear of being out of control and how to sit with that. So there, there's a lot of education and understanding that has to go along with these different technology platforms as well. Do you find that video games can be as empowering as tabletop stuff? Um, and so what I mean by that is, um, so one of the goals that we had locally was to try to use D&D for kids who had experienced different types of discrimination um, and to, to find ways to help them either um, build like problem-solving skills or resiliency or um, even just you know cope with whatever types of discrimination they were experiencing. And we were focusing really on race and class-based stuff. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering if, you had, if, if video games are something that can accomplish that, can accomplish that too. Yeah. Uh, I think having explored um, some kind of social justice issues in a lot of my games, um, kind of ranging from environmental justice to um, kind of economic justice to uh, prejudice to just kind of understanding forgiveness. I think it can be very hard to do that in a video game because you don't have that complete control of the world. Mm-hmm. Yet, at the same time, you also, with D&D, you need to build a culture around your players expecting that from you. Because if your players are going into your D&D game thinking, okay, I'm just going to go have a sword and kill orcs, and that's just going to be it, you're going to get into this whole idea of, okay, now there's this old merchant skill that's trying to take over every business, and they're kind of like, uh, you know, super stock market-y, whatever, and they're doing it, and the players will just glaze over. So you both benefit from the freedom and complete control that being a dungeon master gives you, but you also have to kind of navigate around the expectations and uh, thoughts about what D&D is um, and kind of reframing that as kind of a more open narrative. Um, it depends on how you use them. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, so for those I don't want to call them kids because the people that I'm thinking of are the clients I'm thinking of are young adults. Um, for those guys I'm using guys because they're all male, the ones that I'm specifically thinking of. 
they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily get into the D&D group um, because of their age, because of their work schedule, because a few of them are already, like, dads at, at like, 19, 20, and 21. Um, being able to address things through changing the narratives that they're creating for themselves based off of the games, I think is the way to, is, is part of the way to tackle that individually with video games. And specifically, like, I think a lot of the sessions that I have with them is if they play a game and if we're relating what's going on in their life specifically to the game, walk me through this one part that was really frustrating for you. Okay. I see that you're looking at this interaction like this. So it's almost kind of like what you'd normally do with therapy, but instead you're you're doing it with a video game. Like, So put yourself actually in that character's body. Mm-hmm. And you know that this character can do this thing that you can't do, pull out a sword and kill a monster or whatever. How do you think you can do that on your own when you're working stocking shelves and you have somebody that's coming up to you and they're using, you know... They're using negative language because they think that you're, like, lowly compared to them because you're, like, oh, just a man stocking shelves. And how do we internalize, you know, this character into who you are? It's, I agree with Peter, um, being able to do it through tabletop is, it does allow you to have more control and it allows them to have more control to actually roleplay through it. But I think that with video games, as long as you're able to frame it differently and as long as you know to challenge yourself about how you're viewing the narrative of the game and then challenge their view of the narrative of the game, you can build some resiliency through mm-hmm. that. You can change narratives. It's just it takes a bit and it all depends on the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would hypothesize and again, uh, one of my big questions is there's not enough research done in this field, so research needs to be done. So again, this is anecdotal experience and educated guesses, but I feel though tabletop role-playing games hands down are better for teaching empowerment and control and that sense of autonomy in your life because you control the narrative. In a video game, somebody has to have predetermined all of the different courses that you can take and programmed it in. You do, even in open world games, you get to make choices, but a lot of times the choice, you know, it's a fixed choice. Yeah. And a lot of times the choices might not fit with what you actually want to do. You want to do something different, but you don't have that option because it wasn't programmed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, would be curious to see a study done around how we remember our actions in video games versus a tabletop game. Um, because anyone who's played a tabletop game knows when you sit around and you recount the cool moments that happened, it's we're talking in first person. Remember the time we did this thing and I did this and you did that. Um, I don't really do that when with video games so much as it can be. Oh, do you remember when you were playing Witcher and you did that cool thing? Um, but it's still, there's that language distance, I think, when we're talking about um, how we're playing this game. So it's, it needs studying, but it's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, I mean, I've got so much on my plate and you just gave me another idea. Like, this is... I mean, it would be like a qualitative, almost a journal, really. A um, hundred hours of, of game A, a hundred hours of, of video game B, and then a hundred hours in a, in a D&D table um, with an intentional DM, and then reviewing those journals after to see what stood out. 
And I would, I would ima- I, I think that you're probably right that the D&D journal would be an order of magnitude bigger than, than whatever, the, whatever the video games were. Yeah, that's interesting. The last thing that I wanted to ask, um, because I know that you're all super busy and <laughs> this is not going to be a quick question. Um, so again, like I'm, I'm, I come to this from a, a criminology and criminal justice background, and my interest in this came from hearing stories about um, mostly men um, uh, incarcerated using games as a way to um, learn better, um, learn better behaviors, um, kind of break through some of the, the toxic um, identities that they had developed over time. Um, and so uh, that's where we were trying to, to push here with, with stuff about, you know, encountering discrimination and using D&D as an allegory for that. Um, since then, um, D&D has come under a lot of criticism for how they handle race specifically. And so I'm, I'm wondering, and please don't feel obligated to, <laughs> to speak on this if you don't feel comfortable, and I'm not trying to ambush anybody with this, but I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Um, the criticisms, and for people who are listening to this who aren't familiar with it, um, D&D has been accused of being kind of um, racially deterministic in how character work is done, right? So um, some some races have abilities that others don't have, um, which people who are critical of the game suggest is um, mirroring uh, similarly racist language um, that we're all struggling with in, in real life. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. And the uh, training that I co-authored with uh, Dr. Brooke Mazzaro, we actually spent a long time talking about this because I think in order to understand the problems that are expressed in tabletop role-playing games, not just D&D, but pretty much all fantasy-based role-playing games, you have to understand where they came from mm-hmm. and the humongously problematic origin of a lot of things of what the authors of these games read and what the fantasy that they enjoyed and how that influenced the game that they created. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, it is a complex issue and like how to tackle it and how to change it. Like if people have, if any of your players have a problem with how things are represented typically in the game, talk to them and listen and work on understanding why, understanding what about it is problematic. And how do we change that? How do we go about making this feel more fun and not bringing our real-life traumas into the game, um, which is all you know, important for Session Zero. I talk a lot about that. Um, but there are problems with it, and it's, I think, important to understand where those problems come from because when you understand where the problems come from, you can understand how to adapt and adjust and move forward. So um, kind of piggybacking off of that, uh, Session Zero is incredibly important. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different tools. Um, there's the uh, there's concepts like the X card. There's also just having conversations about what sort of stuff you want in the game. And the great thing about D&D is you can go in any direction you want. Um, like most recently, uh, my campaign has been all about this anime dating sim thing where the kids have to pretend they're all like super stereotypical anime characters in the WWE wrestling thing. So you can just not use a lot of that problematic stuff, but at the same time, it's also really good to educate yourself. Um, 
And there's an article that I cannot recommend enough uh, by James Mendez Hodes uh, called Orcs, Britons, and the um, Martial Race Myth. And it's just about the history of, um, you know, orcs and a lot of that sort of uh, really problematic racist history in D&D. Um, and so just educate yourself, know the landscape, and then also mm-hmm. recognize that this is your world, mm-hmm. and you can make it whatever you want. And you can pull from all the positive stuff and realize that there's all this toxic bad stuff, and just don't use it. Um, I'm The biggest inspiration for my primary group is Undertale. And the amount I have ripped off from that game is ridiculous, and the kids <laughs> love it because it's incredibly positive and um, just really a, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the good things about D&D, right, is that even in-house, they would encourage you to pick and choose what rules you want to use. Right? They keep putting spell components in there, and who's used a spell component since the 1970s? <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> Clearly, they're still there. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, in, like, the, the, I think the history of it is, is really important, like Megan was saying, right? Like, and, and to not, like, dance around it, like, we're talking about Tolkien, <laughs> <laughs> right, and and the orcs created for the Lord of the Rings as really an allegory for for black people, um, and how that's been internalized in a lot of fantasy since I'm then. Asian, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay. I stand corrected, but yeah, I mean the the point stands right that it's an allegory, it's a racist allegory um, that was worked into the story um, that has kind of become a mainstay since then. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's interesting, right, to see how, how companies are trying to handle it and how wizards handle it. Um, the le- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, one thing I really, really try and do, and this tied into even the earlier, the previous question, um, is, and, and I know that I'm not the only one, but, like, taking the stereotypes that we create that have been offered to us or given to us by um, the companies that have created these games and just throwing them out the window. I have orcs who are intelligent shop owners in my games. Um, I have, um, I like to make my tabaxis like uh, incredibly just like fun and they, uh, I have, they own, one owns a bakery with owls in it and she's just like really fun. I, um, from the very first campaign that I, or the very first part of my campaign, uh, the mayor of my town introduced herself and her wife. Like, that was right off of the bat. Like, I just wanted people to see um, there were people of all different colors. It didn't matter if you were an elf. You could still have dark skin. You don't have to, you know, there are drow. What are, what are drow? Like, let's talk about how why drow live underground, why the dark skin people have to live underground. Like, let's talk about that, um, that idea and how mm-hmm. that happened and what does that mean and why are they angry so I mean the literal whole concept of my campaign where the drow wanted to come out from under the ground uh, so why like what is what does that mean why did they get put there in the first place mm-hmm. and let's talk about how that affects people with dark skin in our real lives um, and so I don't know for, for me um, and this might also stem from the fact that I am new to D&D, like I wasn't, I haven't been playing it for 95 editions, and I don't, I never owned the original Monsters Manual, and I don't even know what it looks like except for some pictures, and so 
for me, I just kind of jumped in and I was like, oh, these are cool things. Like, I'm just going to make them what I want to make them. And not all orcs have to know three words and be dumb and aggressive. Like, they can know lots of words and be intelligent and look nice and own shops. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of something. And I've encouraged my kids to also think of that, my, like my students to think of that as well, to take whatever it is you want and make it how you want it to be. Something you just hit on that I uh, want to appreciate, and this is something that I've really worked on in my groups as well, is queer representation. Um, you know, as a um, queer man myself, I uh, find it very important to normalize that and create a safe space at your table for that. And I've had several of my, my, my kids actually come out to the group and it's always been like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, literally just no one batted an eye. Um, and so I think that's just another thing to really be aware of, to normalize, to celebrate, and just to be inclusive around at your table. Yeah, for me that was really important. I knew, um, I knew that that is the world I wanted to create. I wanted... I don't, there's not a lot of um, racial diversity where I am based out of. I have all white children, but um, I do have kids who identify uh, as LGBT across the spectrum for a variety of different things, and I wanted to ensure that um, even if I didn't get kids who identified uh, LGBT, that I knew that, that there was that space as well as people of different races because I knew that these kids, I know that these kids don't get a ton of exposure in their day-to-day life of people who are different races. So if I could um, do my best uh, based off of research, based off of my friendships, based off of books I've read to represent other races the best that I can on other people's experiences the best that I can, then, you know, Wizards of the Coast can do what they want with D&D and across the board, I get to make my world cool and accepting and also challenging, right? Because that's what we're facing. I think the big thing is regardless of how these game companies choose to address it, um, one of the very first panels that I attended ever actually had Tanya to pass on it, and she's just phenomenal. Uh, She said just because oppression is in our history does not mean that it needs to be in our games. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not need to question whether or not there are queer characters. You do not need to, you know, stick strictly to, you know, racial guidelines. Like, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't need to do that, so don't do it. Um, These are worlds that we can create entirely of our own. So why would we add these constructs that we're living in our day-to-day lives? And I think, and she's right, and I've carried that with me ever since I had that panel, so I would like to think that Wizards and whoever else, that they look at their characters and then they reconsider the narratives for them, but I also think we have that power to not put anything that's going to put any other group down in our games. So a few resources I would really encourage Dungeon to look at is um, there's a writing page called Writing the Other which offers classes and lectures and discussions on how to write and create from other people's experiences that aren't your own. Uh, and so it's really powerful. Also, they have a nice book I read back here somewhere. Um, 
with Everett, and uh, they have ongoing discussions and classes through there. Also, there are a couple of campaign guides coming out that um, with it's Santa Una is Filipino lore and history, and I'm getting the other one that's based on uh, African lore and history. But they're going to be mod for D&D 5E, and so it's a way to incorporate things that are not Western ideas mm-hmm. of fantasy, and just but all Western ideas mm-hmm. into your fantasy game. And uh, I think using those resources is just a wonderful help. Um, so I want to I wanna wrap it up there, um, but I also want to give you all the chance to go around one more time and shout out your work. Um, and I'll include, all, I'll include links to everything that you're doing um, in the show notes too, but um, just one more time to tell everybody about, about where they can find you and what you're doing. Right, I'm Peter. I run uh, rollforkindness.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at rollforkindness. I am also doing uh, bi-monthly uh, therapeutic and intentional slash applied DM roundtables. I'm actually hosting one today uh, in about two hours. And those are just kind of uh, Zoom roundtables where we can just network, talk about what we're doing, what's going well, and kind of troubleshoot things. Um, last one, we had a great meetup with uh, some people from the educational world some people from the therapeutic world that just kept comparing and contrasting. Like, the educational people were talking about, like, we have 50 kids in our group. <laughs> the, the therapeutic people were like, watch it. <laughs> and uh, it was just really, really uh, fascinating. So um, I've been hosting those and still running for Role for Kindness. And, yeah. Awesome. I'm Jamie. Uh, I am the founder and sole person of... Role Play Lead, uh, R O L L, Role Play Lead, uh, org, or you can find me um, at Rosie underscore games on uh, Twitter. And I have a Facebook page for my uh, company and a Twitter page for my company. But Facebook gets updated more because that's where my parentals are usually at. Um, but I, yeah, uh, we are online summer classes. So if anybody has uh, anyone at home, any teenagers who are looking to learn to play, um, I'm online and accepting people from all time zones as long as you're around. So uh, if you have a teenager at home, you have something to do. Uh, yeah, super fun. Dr. Mayne Pennell, psychologist in Charlotte, North Carolina, running uh, D&D therapy groups for girls focused on empowerment. I'm also the co-founder of Geeks Like Us, where... I host Psychology at the Table and the Dungeon Master for Clinical Role, and also on Brain Noodles. I had to add that to my list because I keep forgetting about it. <laughs> but if you go to our Geeks Like Us Twitch, that's where a lot of our things are. Also, Geeks Like Us on Twitter, or you can follow me at MegansIDE on Twitter. I'm posting there pretty much. And it's it's Geeks, but with two threes, right? Yes. yes yeah. So the other spelling is But <laughs> our website is Geeks Like Us with okay. two I kind of mentally view Megan as my boss, so I feel like she needs to go before I do. Um, So I'm Amelia Herbst. I am a psychotherapist and a clinical psychology doctoral student. Um, I am doing D&D groups, and I also just use video games and therapy. Now that that came out as we were all talking, um, you can find me on Twitter. I am Wandering Shrink pretty much everywhere on the internet, uh, but definitely on Twitter. I'm at Wandering Shrink. I do stuff for Brain Noodles. Brain Noodles is on pretty much any podcasting platform you can think of. It's just a bunch of cool psychologists that sit and talk about their brains or noodling on specifically stuff in the gaming world. 
uh, and the community manager for Geeks Like Us. Can't remember if I said that. Um, on top of that, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see all the fun gaming stuff, but I also study violence in geeking gamer communities, so I'll have some of that stuff up, too. Awesome. Thank you so much, all of you, for taking time today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, Andy Wilzak again. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed this week's show as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left us positive reviews, five-star ratings on iTunes and all of the other podcast places that you can do this stuff. And more importantly, this show thrives on word of mouth. So, we are doing this completely through social media. All of the guests that we've had are people that I found on Twitter. <laughs> so, if you are untenured and you are in any kind of academic discipline or you have an advanced degree and are working out in the field and you want an opportunity to come on the show and hype your stuff, please reach out. You can follow us on Twitter at Untenure Tracks or me at Hey Dr. Will. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Please send me a message on one or both accounts and we will book you on the show. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. I know that a lot of our previous interviews have been sociology and criminology based because that's my background, but I am open to anybody. So again, please rate and review the show. Tell your friends, tell your people about this, and I'll see you next week. Bye.